everybody thank you so much for coming on today today i just have the most incredible person i know who is a friend of mine and she used to be a client of mine when i used to do hair so we have known each other for a very very long time real quick subscribe below if you're on youtube click the button share this love with your friends because I just really feel like today we are going to be so inspired to just be courageous and brave, maybe in the areas that we've been scared to do, um, to step out in or to just uh, talk about. But before we get into Faith's story, because she is so kindly going to share it with us today, and I'm just, I am just so honored. Okay, now we're going to do something that I call the lightning round. And that's where I'm just going to ask Faith five questions off the top of my head of things that she likes so that we all get to know her just a little bit better outside of what the super serious stuff we're going to talk about today. So question number one, what's your favorite race? Uh, peanut butter cookie dough. <laughs> Yum. Two, cats or dogs? Oh. Oh, nice. What's your favorite color? Purple. Four. And four, what is your favorite place to visit? Oh, that one's hard. I haven't been a lot of places, but my favorite place okay, well, is home. <laughs> well, you have been able to visit that a lot. And question number five, what is one of your favorite indulgent desserts? Sour gummy worms. Ooh, yum. <laughs> a little bit about her journey. Uh, she was so kind in saying yes to um coming on to love talks today and just recently you've really revealed how you've wanted to just share your story with the world so that you can bring healing and freedom to other people i would love to just start maybe at the beginning of where you feel was the most pivotal time in your life and, and one of the hardest times of your life um the the first uh, pivoting moment in my life was when I was actually just almost five years old. And my parents, um, I have a sister, so my sister and I were adopted to my maternal grandparents. And um, we lived with them for a couple of years. And then my parents actually remarried. So we were given the opportunity to go live with my biological parents again. We were legally still my grandparents' kids. So my name change had happened, all of that, and I couldn't go back on that. So the reason I think that that was a huge pivoting moment in my life is because it set the stage for what happened for so many things to come years later. Um, although from ages five to 10, um, I had the adoption happening, but because of that, having the two sets of parents, every time moving forward, whenever I was disciplined, I was switched between two households. However, they didn't live in the same state. So I constantly was shifted from Arizona to Illinois and two different households being ran very differently. So my grandparents, uh, who were my adoptive parents, um, my grandfather was a pastor. And so he was very, very strict in um, the upbringing and church and all of that. And then when I would live with my biological parents, they drank, they partied, 
it was complete. It was a flip lifestyle. So for being a kid, it was continuous, just mixed signals. There was no consistency in the way I was being raised. Um, and we never talked about my adoption. We never talked about why it happened or anything like that. The only information that I currently have is actually from family members who shared later in life when I was an adult and started asking questions um, in my own healing process. So that really, I think, was a huge moment in my life as to how some of the things transpired later for me. So when you were, you know, you said your parents were pastors or yeah, your parents were pastors and then your other family, you know, was basically living like this wild lifestyle. I have definitely brought a lot of confusion as a kid, like, mm -hmm. you know, learning two different sets of things, like this is right and wrong and nothing, anything kind of goes. You feel that, um, as you entered into your teenage years, that that kind of like you just didn't have a foundation to even stand on? Like, what did that look like for you? Well, by the time I was in the fourth grade, I was already drinking alcohol. Um, by the time I was in sixth grade, I was introduced to pills and such. And um, by that, it all escalated. Like it started with alcohol and then it went to pills um and then from there it went to meth and then it went to more pills and messing around with coke and heroin and all that other stuff um and i actually overdosed for the very first time in the seventh grade so with that i i never really had a foundation to fall on because i was always so confused and i didn't understand you know from the get-go I guess I always felt like it was me, myself, and the world, which for a kid, that's, you know, hard, but um, that that's a lot of why everything happened the way that it did, I, I think. What would you say would be the next pivotal chapter of the story for you? Two things when previous to starting using alcohol and stuff, some of that I really do feel like it, it was, it was myself just trying to grab attention of like, I need my parents to pay attention to me, but nobody was paying attention. So then unfortunately a family member had inappropriately touched me and no one came to my defense. And then when the drugs got worse, um, was actually because I was raped in a parking lot by a older man and nobody ever asked questions and so it it literally sent me down a road of just very bad addiction i i was very very addicted to math and with that comes a really harsh lifestyle um <laughs> most of the people you meet in that lifestyle are not there to be really your friend or help you do anything good um and by the time I was 14, I was kicked out of the house. So I was living on the streets um, with, I ended up living with a friend of mine who's, her, her mom was also an alcoholic. So it was more partying, more, you know, and I, nothing I would say 
detrimental happened in that phase except for what I was introduced to. So I saw a lot of prostitution, a lot of pornography, um, a lot of homelessness, a lot of drug addicts and um, that didn't have, you know, homeless drug addicts at that. Um, mental illnesses such as schizophrenia and multiple personality disorders. That was the world that I lived in. Um, and, and that was my first introduction to it and how to deal with that stuff came from peers of kids. Right. So we were all teaching each other. And uh, eventually I did move back to my parents' house um, for a short while, but I was kicked out again because of drugs. They didn't want drugs in the house, which I understood. Um, but I was 16 and I was dating this guy. He was actually my drug dealer and um, he owed some debt to the person that he dealt for. And it was a lot of money apparently because um, I was traded for that debt. And so I was locked up and held captive. I, to this day, don't know how long because I was drugged the whole time. I did get out and that's how I ended up um, meeting my ex, not meeting, but living with my ex-husband. Um, we were friends at the time and we didn't have cell phones and all that stuff. So it was whatever you could remember out of the phone numbers in your head and who hadn't changed their phone number and his was it. How were you mentally dealing with, you know, after you had escaped being held captive against your will, um, how were you mentally dealing with this and processing this as just a person? I mean, were you still taking drugs? And uh -huh. inwardly, like what was going on? How are you keeping yourself, you know, safe? Because usually it's the whole I'm going to protect myself type thing uh -huh. because you don't know what to do. Yeah, it, well, my ex-husband was also a, a meth dealer. So I went to another one, but he was, he was not in association with the same group of everybody. So his was my hiding spot. Nobody knew where he lived. Nobody knew where he was. And that ex-boyfriend that I had left, he was after me because when he, you know, they, they were intended, I was intended to be kept there forever until they were done. And because I ran away now, his debt was still owed, but double time because, you know, it caused more chaos for them. So, you know, I was hiding from him because I knew that he would come after me. Um, and he, I, I didn't have, I felt like I didn't have anywhere safe to go. I knew my parents at least I felt that my parents wouldn't want me um, after everything that had happened. How was I going to go home and say that, that, you know, everything that's happened. And uh, I, I just kept using more and more drugs. And so I wasn't mentally dealing with it. I wasn't facing anything. I had nightmares all the time. I was scared. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but the panic attacks is what I was having. Um, I had ir what were what are called now as irrational fears. So I feared stuff like I would see someone walking strangely down the street. And to me, I couldn't tell if they were bad or good. And so, you know, I ultimately assumed they have to be bad and I have to hide from everybody. Mm -hmm. So um, 
the the way that I came out of that, which started a whole new journey for me, um, was I got pregnant and I was 17 years old when I had my first kid. Um, I was into my second trimester when I found out I was pregnant because I hadn't actually had female cycles for so long because I, I only weighed 80 pounds at the time, which is completely not normal for my body structure. So, um, at that moment is when I knew that I couldn't stay in this lifestyle because I couldn't, what was I going to do with this baby? If you could look, if you could look at the camera or speak to the people that are listening via audio to young girls, even young guys, maybe that are trapped in a lifestyle like this, that are being prostituted, that are being, or have been, you know, raped or, um, held against their will. And just, you know, maybe they've gotten out of it and they've obviously escaped, but there's like that fear of like, not being able like you said i didn't feel like i could tell my parents uh -huh. so what would you say to anyone that maybe is even listening to this part of this story of your story what would some advice be that you would give them that you would have given yourself back then i i would have said find someone you trust anyone even if it's a school teacher from you know your grade school someone that you trust that you can get in contact with and tell them don't don't feel don't feel bad for what others have done to you because it's not your fault no matter what you did it's not your fault you never did anything to deserve this and um you you can have freedom from it it's not going to be easy it'll be painful but you can and if you have anybody you can trust they can help you because just talking to that one person sometimes is enough to give you enough strength to do what you got to do next yeah baby steps right it's not huge leaps, but just inching forward. And first step is always like finding that person that you can trust to just release all of that. And to let people know like that lie, because that lie isn't everybody that has been abused in whatever way, verbally, emotionally, physically, is that I did something to deserve this, that mm -hmm. I have no value. Right. And so like you just speaking to everybody today saying like, this was not your fault. This was the perpetrator's fault this was issues beyond your control you were the victim but you don't have to be a victim your whole life right from that you know you got married again you it's not you know the cycle did the cycle continue like um it it was you know it was really rough in the fact that we were too he was also a meth addict so we were two addicts. I was 17, he was 19. Um, he didn't even graduate the seventh grade. So he didn't have a great education to even fall back on. Um, and 
we were two kids trying to take care of kids. We were trying to raise a family. We were trying to do the right thing. But he had a lot of things to deal with when they, you know, they, they say that phrase that each person comes with baggage. Well, we had it. <laughs> we both had it. Um, and he, he, unfortunately, he was very controlling and he was very abusive. Um, and we lasted eight years before he was on meth again. And at that time, he actually left uh, me and the kids. We had three kids together by then. Um, and he, he went off to, you know, go do his own thing. And, and then I became a single mom of three. And how were you able to overcome your addiction um, and, and stay clean? That, <laughs> um, I honestly give that to God. So was God a common theme in your life? I know your parents were pastors, but do you feel like there was like this one point where God just showed up or do you feel like he was, as we all know, he's always there, but could you always, even in your times of like crisis, like, did you always kind of like sense here and there his presence or was it, or was there a time where you just felt completely alone? Like, does that journey look like for you with God? Um, I, I do think that God showed up um, in the moments that were life-saving for me. So did he rescue me from the being held captive in a meth house? No. Um, but my son, who I carried, I was in the second trimester, and my son was born full term at nine pounds, 11 ounces. I almost died during childbirth. I went into cardiac arrest and I was very forward with the doctor when I first went in there because he, he could clearly see I was a mess. I wasn't a healthy person. And, um, you know, he, he asked what, what, drugs are you on? And I told him openly because I knew it was the only shot that this child had, regardless of if they would have taken the baby from me, I felt at least I am doing right because I felt very convicted to keep him alive. And in order to do that, I had to stop doing what I was doing to myself. And I, I know that it's very much all God that my son was born healthy, nine pounds, 11 ounces to a mom who was using math. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, a miracle. That is a miracle. So I think God showed up then. Um, mm -hmm. And then even, yeah, my, my marriage for eight years, it was abusive, it was controlling, it was violent, um, it was very toxic. But I think God showed up again because my ex-husband went away. I thought it was a curse at the moment because I was terrified to be only in my early 20s with three kids and not a whole lot of job skills. And um, But looking back, I see that God was there because he carried me when I absolutely couldn't. Because staying in that marriage, I'll be honest, it, it probably would have killed me. You're out of the marriage. You know, he's been taken away. The Lord taketh away. Thank God. Um, 
and you have three kids. Now, next stepping stone in this store, in this, in the, in the, in this part of your journey that um, you would like to share with everybody. So for the first time, I actually got counseling, mm. and I spent quite a bit of time in therapy and on several medications to try to help me get through um, all of the, the emotions and try to work for what all of what was going on. Um, but life was still struggling because I was kind of a mess, but I was trying to make it work. Um, as far as, you know, working three jobs and taking care of my kids and, and still having all of the stuff that had happened and never dealt with it. And now I was trying to deal with it and it became overwhelming. And so I actually stopped going to therapy because I just, I got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. It was too much. And I just needed to stay where I was for a minute. <laughs> I do know that you're married now. Mm -hmm. And um, what it's so from the divorce and having to work through all these issues and all of that between getting remarried, um, how long have you been married for now? Uh, 15 years. Okay. So between then and getting married, how did you kind of navigate the world? More of a, a Buddhist belief um, because I, I believed that everybody could change. And um, I tried to go back to Christ, but the churches and everything that I found, they weren't very accepting. And of course I still carried a lot of guilt and shame and, and things about my past. And, you know, everyone always seems so perfect on the outside, although the truth is that's probably not the truth, <laughs> you know, but you don't feel that way. And, um, so life had gone on and, and for quite a while, uh, we were all very happy. I ended up having another kid and, um, and then my ex-husband decided to come back into the picture and he was extremely unstable and, um, he had written a letter to me. Uh, because I, he had tried to communicate with me and I, I just, he wasn't healthy and I knew that, and I knew that I couldn't be the one to help him. And, um, he had written me a letter and he began stalking me and leaving things at my door and on my car when I was at work. And, um, the letter had told me that, cause he had asked if I would bring our kids to come and see him. And I told him that I didn't feel comfortable doing that. He had been gone for several years at that point. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want them to see him that way. Yeah. So in that letter, he had said that he was very angry that I wouldn't do it because his intention that day was to kill all of our kids and then me and then himself. So we could all die together and be together. And I was absolutely terrified because I knew he was in such a bad place. And because of the things that I had seen, I knew it was possible. Mm -hmm. And um, we actually decided for safety reasons um, to uproot my family um, and move to a different town where he couldn't find us. And I, I 
per advice uh, from some police officers and a lawyer, I went into hiding. And so for several years, uh, I didn't have anything in my name. I wasn't nothing. Like the house that my husband and I first bought together, uh, my current husband, um, the house wasn't in my name. The cars weren't in my name. Nothing was in my name. And I had to stay that way for um, several years. That's amazing, you know, and really hard to have to give everything up. But when you have, it's like love covers everything. And when you love your family enough, you know, you'll, you will, you'll do anything. You will lay it down and you will sacrifice, you know, and I just want to honor you for that, like for sacrificing and having, you know, to give up so much, um, basically give up your identity in order to keep your family safe. Um, but here you are. Mm-hmm. a free woman you know and I it's not even where the story ends um so you know after you come out of hiding how long did you have to be in hiding for uh it was roughly five years five years okay yeah my weakest points the I like to say the enemy likes to come in and take advantage of my current state of weakness How do you feel that happened in this next part of your life? I, again, like I said, it, it was, we were high. I, I, me and the kids were hiding. I mean, they went to school. Um, but if he didn't know where we live, you know, it was harder to find him. And, um, my current husband, um, in that timeframe, he had actually legally adopted the kids. Mm because there had, you know, the courts deemed that my ex-husband was an unfit parent. So um, in that, the kids got to register in school as a new name that he didn't know. He never knew, you know, my um, current husband's name. So that worked out great. However, with me not being able to get a job, um, I wasn't able to really socialize or, you know, have anything um, outside of this small environment, um, I, I was very weak and I, I had some healing, but I also created, or that environment created some new weaknesses for me. And, um, my son, uh, second youngest son ended up getting a tumor in his head, um, where it ate through his bone. And so he had to have the tumor removed, which was cancerous. And then he had to have a bone transplant. Um, And amongst all of that and everything, I really needed to get a job. So I had been introduced to, uh, I met a girl online. Is this when we, when we, was this about the time we met? Is this about, okay. So this is, we're now entering into Faith and Danielle meet. It's a glorious meeting. I love you to pieces. So I don't even know what year that was a thousand years ago, but so this would be around the time that we met. I was doing hair. I don't even know, honestly, how you found me, but Jesus, I'm sure. Yeah. I thought about that actually the other day. I thought I was like, who, it's so everybody weird. Would, everybody would be like, I just randomly came across your website. And so we meet, uh-huh. you're now entering into this new, um, short chapter that we're going to talk about today yeah it was um because this is also when god came in to my life Mm -hmm. and showed up but um yeah so i 
ended up getting into uh, what they called clips at the time. I don't even know what it's called anymore, um, but it's fetish videos because of the way it sound appealing. You make all this money, you work for very little time, you do very little and you make a bunch of money. And I was like, okay, you know, what are my options, you know? And then mm -hmm. in my head, the way that I thought about it was, you could tell I wasn't healed yet because my thought was, at least I'm in control. Nobody's gonna touch me. And I only do what I'm comfortable doing because all the people in my life have always done what they wanted to do with me against my will. And so very, I would say within a few months time, I had this conviction that what I was doing was wrong. And I was actually harming myself the way that others had harmed me. Mm. And this just grew and grew and grew. So I got back into therapy and I got back on meds because I didn't clearly understand what it was I was dealing with. And my therapist at the time had said, you know, have you ever thought that it's currently what you're doing that's mm -hmm. causing all of these triggers? Because it seems like you've got a lot of triggers mm -hmm. that is actually invoking all of this. And I thought, oh, I, I didn't know that. Okay. And then I took a step back and I looked and I thought, well, I'm back in therapy. I'm back on medication. I'm terrified to leave my house. I don't want to meet people. I don't want to, I, I was always a social butterfly. I was always Miss Popularity. So when that was all taken again, I'm like, okay, maybe. And so it was at that time that I drug out an old Bible that I had since I was a teenager. <laughs> it was the only one I had. That's not thing off. <laughs> it it does. <laughs> I found it in a box <laughs> and I brought it out and, um, it, it was it was so moving at that moment because the minute that I picked that up, I knew, I just knew it had to go. The very next day I shut the shop down, I stopped all of it and I told my husband, I said, I have no idea what we're gonna do for financial means because that was a lot of money, but we'll make a way, you know, we'll find a way. God's going to provide for us. I have faith in this. And he said, I trust you. And you know what we, we have, we've been fine. Um, but that was the beginning of that process. And like you said, it feels like a lifetime ago that we met and it was, it was 10 years ago. So, you know, you, you got out, you uh -huh. decided this is not for me anymore. You know, you're walking with the Lord. And how many years ago was it that you ended doing that, the adult film stuff? It was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Okay. So from 10 years ago to now, what, how do you feel your healing process has been and how what do you feel because today is the first time you're really sharing this publicly mm -hmm. why why today why 10 years later do you feel like it's time to let the world know and to help because we already know that this is going to help others but why what what about today made you feel like this was time 
to let it all out, let your hair down and just let it all out and finally like empty the closet get those skeletons out so the house that we lived in um i i do believe that god gave me that house because uh we were we were living in a um in a rental home and um it was too small when i had my fourth kid and i just it, the market and what we could afford were two different things and i knew that we also had to get out of dodge you know i needed somewhere out of the way but still like not so far out that we can't like get yeah, to the store sure. <laughs> right yeah, yeah. So, you need a target you need a target nearby not sponsored by the way right <laughs> <laughs> so it was like okay well so i do believe because that house worked out perfectly for that however we just i felt like we were supposed to be there for five we were actually there for almost 10 years it was just shy of 10 years and when i stopped doing that um i had told god and part of my healing process is i was like i can't stay where i got broken mm. that is that's one thing good, that's a good word i so i told god i can't stay here i can't stay here i need this to be in the past so we started looking for a new home, trying to find very specific for my family because I knew my family's needs needed something very specific. And the house that I'm currently in, I also, there were so many things about it that I know God gave me this house so that I could heal. Mm -hmm. And my family, we love living here, but in that, the first year that I lived here, that's all that it was, is just focusing on the word, learning myself, forgiving myself, forgiving others. And there was another part to that where um, it was actually just, you know, 2020 happened and I think that was rough for everybody. But in that year, um, I had, I was trying to work through some hurt and some healing from my ex-husband and, and that relationship. And I told God, I said, I just need confirmation. I need to know I'm safe. Mm -hmm. And then I was randomly messaged through Facebook um, that my ex-husband had passed away. Mm -hmm. And um not that him passing away is a gift to me but me knowing that he passed away is a gift to me because i was able to finally spend time grieving him our marriage our relationship our friendship all of it and it was then just last year that i heard god tell me i've given you all this now you really need to do the rest of it. And he kept nudging. It was, um, I'd say the year that we moved here. So like almost four years ago, uh, he kept nudging, tell your story, tell your story. And I was like, nope, 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 not doing it. <laughs> I'm not ready. And I just kept getting all these little nudges. And then finally, over the last week, it's been so strong mm -hmm. that 
I can't ignore it because it's like constantly in my face. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> that's amazing. You know, I think that that's why I called this pot, well, the podcast. And then, you know, I do the vlog or whatever, love talks because God is love and he does talk. Oh, does he right like and he won't stop talking until you answer the t answer him mm -hmm. you know it's a conversation it's not just like this one-way thing it's like okay fine i'll do it and i just like commend you for your bravery and just sharing your story um what are a few things that you would say to people that you know have watched this and can relate to even one thing that you shared to you know that maybe hear that call and it's like you need to share your story and they're like there's i have so much shame or i'm gonna be judged or you know whatever you know whatever the lie is because the reality is is like this doesn't bring judgment on you this brings healing right mm -hmm. and it doesn't and and it helps other people go oh oh my gosh i'm like not the only person that has dealt with this and mm -hmm. wow, like how brave is she to like put this out there? And we know that it's not by your strength. God gave you this strength, like to do this. And he knew the perfect timing. You said you've been in healing. It's not like you just went from all of this stuff straight out of trauma into telling your story. No, you like step one, tell somebody that you trust. You, what would you tell them? How would you tell them to step over that thrush, threshold? Like taking that first step, just over the threshold. Like, how do you get there? I think it is, it's really hard to, to even for me to wrap my head around, mm -hmm. but God does not give us shame, right? That's not God. So if you're feeling shame, that's, that's not God telling you shame on you because mm -hmm. God says he wipes it clean. Mm -hmm. You speak it, you admit it and then God forgets it. It's done. It's over. It's in the past. We're moving on. And so that, that shame that comes with doing things that, you know, weren't your best moment that doesn't come from God. And the first step is, I think is to remind yourself of that every day, every time you feel that, that come over you and you feel that hurt that God's not doing this. God wants to take this away from you. And if you let him, he will. And so, yeah, step one is find just one person, a friend, family member, teacher, whoever you can trust and allow them to hear your story. And God will begin your healing process then. It's not going to be, you know, like <laughs> a movie where it's just instant. It's a long, it's a long road, but it's worth it because every day you just move a little bit closer and then listen to God because he'll nudge you when it's time. I, I would say that remind yourself daily that God loves you just the way you are that he knows you, you made mistakes and you will make mistakes because you're human. You're not perfect. Perfection doesn't exist. 
shame can be so powerful, whether it was something you did or something done to you, the enemy holds you with that. And the, the longer you sit there, the longer the enemy controls you. To break free of it is to talk about it. Because once it's out there, once you're talking about it, it there's no shame. Mm -hmm. It's gone. And now you're a part of your own healing and someone else's healing because we all need to be able to relate to each other. And, and this is the one way we do. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and being brave and having this brave conversation and just bearing out your heart for so many people out there that, you know, especially with 2020, um, just the rate of addiction and everything else, you know, even relapse and, and mm -hmm. just so many things. I just look up to you and honor you and admire you for just the heart that you have and your willingness to say yes to God, even though your inwardness is like, no, 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 no. Like he knows when you're ready. So I just thank you for coming on today and sharing this. And I just, I just hope that everybody that was listening or watching today that you, um, received something from Faith's story and I would love if you're on YouTube, leave in the comments below. Um, I actually have a phone number, which I'll put on the screen and also in the comments below where you can actually just text me and you can text me your story. I can share it with Faith, you know, or text me your, your thoughts or anything. Or if you have a story even that you're wanting to share, you know, this is a place where I want to just be a safe place to help people be able to share their hearts and um, and their victories because really the only thing that God ever sees is our highlight reel and what does that look like? That looks like our victory, our victory, our victory, our victory, our victory. Like she said, he he forgets all of the things that we've done in the past. And so, thank you for joining Faith so much. Thank you and for having me. Yes, thank you so much. And um, again, you guys just have a wonderful week and shine brightly, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.